Well, good morning. It's so good to see all of you this morning. You're, you're all looking great. Give yourself a hand. You guys are looking great this morning. I would like to thank the, the chaplain's office, uh, office for allowing me to be here today. It's, it's just an awesome opportunity. I have some um, images that I want to show, and um, I want you to respond just with the way that you think you should respond, okay? I think when you see these images, um, they will evoke in you some, some thoughts, some feelings, uh, and so just respond accordingly, okay? Could we, could we see the first one? Oh, uh, oh no. That's, that's bad. That's bad. Uh, uh, the second one? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we can do that. Uh, the next one? Yeah. You guys, you guys are doing well. You are passing the test. You are, you're doing well. Um, the first three, I think we have mostly agreed on. Not completely. I've seen some people uh, actually cheering for Tom Brady, and I'm going to be praying for you. But um, uh, we, we mostly agreed on, on all those. The next three, I know, are images that are um, a, a little more personal, you might say, or, or, or they're more evoking of, of distinctive ideas and thoughts and so let's hit the first one. I see. Now the crowd, now the crowd don't know exactly how to respond to that one. All right, we're still working on that one. Uh, the, the next one. Uh, yeah? 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 How about the last one? Okay. You see. I could, have, I could have continued with dozens of images, uh, dozens of I, ideas that would evoke a certain set of emotions. And, but what I did notice was even in this group, even in this group there is this difference. There are these ideas that, that some of you agree with, some of you don't agree with. And if you walked outside of these doors, what you would discover is that the potential for even greater diversity of thought and ideas would be evident. In fact, some of you may even disagree on those issues with your parents. We live in a very polarized culture. And I know that these images generated definite emotions. And one of the things that God has been really laying on my heart recently is this idea that as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, that God has called us to be a voice of reconciliation in our culture. The spirit of reconciliation that I want to talk about this morning isn't really uh, about the issues at all. I'm not denying that Jesus spoke into these issues that, that we saw. Um, he has things to say about those. But this morning, I want us to lean in on what we are supposed to do and how we are supposed to respond to people who actually disagree with us. There's a scripture that we read in Matthew chapter 5. It is um, what we may know as the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to read it this morning. Matthew chapter 5. You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you're sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. 
If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. You've heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way you'll be acting as true children of your father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And, send rain, and sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. And if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Let's just start by saying the audience that Jesus was speaking to had a very clear understanding of who the enemy was. They were part of a culture. They were part of a, of a society that was being oppressed by the Romans. And not only were the Romans, there were, there were people who had come in. There were groups who had come in who, uh, who were swindling them, who were stealing their money. There were tax collectors who were ripping them off. And so when Jesus says to them, you are to love your enemies, the people who were listening to that that day were like, Jesus, you got to be kidding me. I mean, do you know what they are doing to us? Do you know what they say about us? Do you know how they are stealing from us? How in the world, Jesus, do you expect us to love these people? As a matter of fact, we're Jews, Jesus. We have a very strong national identity, and, and we, are, we are a group of people who are really bonded together. And Jesus looks at them, and he says, yes. You are to love your enemies. This message today is not just something that Jesus said uh, 2,000 years ago. This is a message that is very applicable to us in 2018. While it is true that most of us still don't have enemies the way that Jesus' first audience would have heard this message, the reality is, is that all of us have people within our lives that really um, cause us a great deal of angst just to put it bluntly. Some of these people are groups of people that maybe we have had long-held views about or we've had a mindset about who they are and what they stand for. Some of these people have um, invoked uh, fear into our lives. Now, your, your enemies are different than mine. Maybe your enemy is someone that's very close, someone deeply connected to you. Maybe it, it's someone who has wronged you. The injustice is real. Maybe you're trying to figure out what it would actually mean to love and forgive them. Maybe someone has wronged a family member that you love dearly. And you are processing, you're working in, you're, you're leaning in on what it would mean to actually forgive those people. Maybe it is someone that has bullied you and has absolutely robbed you of your self-respect and, and your value. We all have different enemies and your enemies are not the same as mine. I have my own in my own life. And so while our enemies are different, when Jesus says we are to love our enemies, the message still applies to us today. What Jesus is talking about is a different ethic or a model of living that is different than anything that makes sense in our culture. Really, Jesus, love 
our enemies? Dale Carnegie, who I know maybe you've heard of him. He's an author. He wrote uh, how to win, uh, how to influence people, how to win friends and influence people. He says, when we hate our enemies, we give them power over us, power over our sleep, our appetites, our happiness. They would dance with joy if they knew how much they were worrying us. Our hate is not hurting them at all, but it is turning our days and our nights into turmoil. Do you ever find that to be true? That, that when you have these thoughts, when you have these ideas, when there are people who you see as your enemies, when you begin to give them a lot of thought, they, they really just turn your life into a miserable mess. And what Jesus begins to do is Jesus begins to frame the conversation, really change the conversation on what it is as followers of Christ that it means to actually love our enemies. He says, you've heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say love your enemies. First of all, Jesus is addressing an idea, a thought that had made its way into Jewish culture. The reality is, is uh, God had never said that they were to hate their enemies. Uh, there were definite en enemies of Israel in the Old Testament, and God had told them to drive them out. But it never came with hate. In fact, in Exodus, in Exodus we read, if you come upon your enemy's ox or donkey that is straight away, take it back to its owner. So even in the Old Testament, God has speaking to his people and, and he is saying to them, you're not to hate your enemy. And so what had happened over time was that, that the people, the, the religious leaders, the rabbis, had begun to develop this idea, this thought that it was best for them to hate their enemies. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I know you've heard that, but, but that's never what my father intended. And what Jesus does, uh, Jesus tells this fascinating story in Luke chapter 10. It's a story, how many of you have heard the story of the Good Samaritan? Most of you, a lot of you have heard the story of the Good Samaritan. There's this uh, situation that happened where some religious leaders uh, came up to Jesus and they asked him, uh, how do I inherit eternal life? Jesus says to them, what does Moses and the prophets say, or what does the Old Testament say? And this um, religious leader says, well, you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And uh, Jesus says, you're, you're right. In fact, this is the same verse that Jesus uh, is reported to say in Matthew 22, that the entire Old Testament hangs on those two thoughts, those two ideas, that you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, this religious leader, he, he, he wanted to trick Jesus, and he says, who is my neighbor? Like, like, what does that mean? Who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells them this story of the Good Samaritan. If you remember it, it's a story of a, of a man who is robbed and left beside the road, and, and a couple of religious leaders walk by, and they, they pass him, they look at him, they kind of go to the other side and said, I'm not touching that. And then a Samaritan comes by. Now, you have to understand, the Samaritan was an enemy of the Jewish people. The Jewish people and the Samaritans were not um, great pals. And the Samaritan comes along, and the Samaritan is actually the one that helps this man out. Now, we read that story, 
And we naturally think, well, that's a great, nice little story about being nice to people. But, but it's so much more than that. In this story, Jesus turns the villain into the hero. In this story, Jesus takes the villain of the story. The religious leaders of the day, they would have naturally thought that the other religious leaders, they would have been the heroes. And the Samaritan would have been the villain. But Jesus changes it and he turns what they understood as the villain into the hero. We often make villains in our life, right? Uh, Can I just confess? Uh, When I went to the the first football game against Taylor and they were over there getting lippy on the other side of the the, uh, field, they quickly became villains in my mind. I'm like, just sit down and be quiet. I don't want to hear you. And so many times in our life, there are people who we see as the villain. And what God wants to do in us, as we begin to learn what it means to love our enemies, God wants to help us turn villains into neighbors. What would it look like for you to turn your enemies into your neighbors? How would that change your life? How would it transform your understanding? You know, it might mean you actually have to sit down and have a meal or a cup of coffee with them and just get to know them. You might, in that process, discover that they are not the villain that you thought they were. It might mean asking and praying um, for God to reveal in, in you an unhealthy stereotype that you have allowed to creep into your heart and into your life. You see, the Christ-centered ethic is so different than the current dialogue that is part of our culture today. It is totally different than the dialogue that is evident today. And what I have been feeling is God has been calling me to be a person who who really is working in, in reconciliation not beginning so focused on the issues, but upon the people that God has placed in my life. Jesus begins to change the paradigm or the model from a model of retribution and revenge to a model of grace and forgiveness. He says, you've heard that the law says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. I'll be honest, when I, when, when I used to hear that, like an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, like what is God doing? Like is God promoting revenge? What, what's up with that? Some have suggested, and I'll, I'll just let you think about this. Some have suggested that what God was even doing in his commandments for an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is he is setting boundaries. He is setting guardrails against how much revenge that a person could take. He he knew that that our natural tendency was to to just seek revenge. And he begins by setting guardrails. And when Jesus comes along, he even takes it to another step. He even goes another step farther. And he says, I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. You ever know people? You ever know people that just respond with something like a small offense in their life and they get way bent out of shape? 
Yeah, we, we know those people. And what God is saying, God is saying that I am changing the model from retribution and revenge. I'm changing the model to grace and forgiveness. In our lives, it's, it's easy to respond with retribution. It's easy to, to want to seek revenge. I want to introduce you to a word. Well, um, you may know this word, and I'm just going to be real honest with you. It's, it comes from a, it's a German word, and I'm going to butcher how you pronounce it, okay? But the word is schadenfraud. Anybody, anybody ever heard that word, schadenfraud? If you speak German, you can, maybe you can come up and you know, say it to me afterwards so I get it right. It is this pleasure that is derived from the misfortune of others. That's actually what the word means. It's like, like harm joy is like a, a rough translation. It is pleasure derived from the misfortune of others. Now, before you all get all self-righteous, I know that sounds crazy that we would actually enjoy someone else's mis misfortune. But the next time that car flies by you and you go, I hope there's a police officer right around the corner. I hope they get so busted. That's sort of the same thing. You see, what we, are, what we are wanting is for them to pay for what they have done, not because we want the best for them, because, but because we want to get them to get what they deserve. So that next time there's someone who has wronged you, the temptation would be to say, I hope they get what they deserve because, buddy, they deserve it. And Jesus begins to change the model on us. And he moves us from retribution and revenge to grace and forgiveness. And that is something totally different than what most of us experience in our world today. Jesus also speaks about loving people who are difficult to love. He says, if you only love those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. Oh, the image is going off in their head right now. I mean, tax collectors was as low as it got. And he says, if you only love people who love you, even corrupt tax collectors do that. Do you guys know any EGR people? Or let me just, EGR is extra grace required people. Don't look at the person beside you. That's not cool. We all have um, people in our lives that require some extra grace. I I'll tell you mine. Mine are people who whine and complain all the time. I just, I, I cannot stand people who whine and complain all the time. I'm like, grow up. So that we all have people that, that are in our lives and they just require a lot of extra grace to even be around. Your people that require extra grace are not the same as mine. And the temptation might be to say, now there's this group of people and, and you can label that whoever you want, want it to be. There's this group of people and I have no trouble loving them. So I must be okay. Everyone else has a hard time loving them. But I have no trouble loving them, so I must be okay. But the truth is, we all have our own group. We all have our own people that we struggle to love. 
And Jesus is speaking into this idea. He says, if you only love people who love you back, that's, that's nothing. Even corrupt tax collectors do that. What does it mean to love people who are hard to love? Not only love them, but be willing to um, invest in their lives. In fact, Proverbs chapter 25 um, the writer of the Proverbs says, if your enemies are hungry, give them food to eat. If they are thirsty, give them water to drink. Proverbs 24, 17 says, do not rejoice when your enemies fall into trouble. Don't be happy when they stumble. For the Lord will be displeased with you and will turn his anger away from you. And so we have to understand that God is calling us to love people who are hard to love. In our, in our culture... In, in the world that we live in, we, we all know people that we disagree with, right? We all know people that say things to us that just get under our skin. We all know people. We all know people that we would just, um, just uh, we would prefer they just go away. And those are the people that Jesus looks at his audience and says, oh, you've heard it said, you know, Love your neighbor, hate your enemies. But I say, oh, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. You know, Jesus' call to pray for them, I, I don't know about you, but I find that very, I'll be honest, difficult at times. To literally pray for someone who has offended me, pray for someone who has who has wronged me. I may pray for them, but it's because I think they're wrong and they need to get fixed. But to pray for them that God will do something awesome in their life, that they will experience God's blessing, that they will experience hope and forgiveness and freedom and all the things that, that I long for in my life, to pray for that, now that's a little different. That's a little different. But that's exactly what Jesus says we are to do. Scott McKnight says, praying for those who persecute us is not a cute formula designed to get us over the hump of bad feelings or resentment, but the concrete behavior of going to God in hope of reconciliation, love, justice, peace, and a kingdom society. It's more than just hoping and praying we will feel better. It is about real, lasting reconciliation. Jesus' message about how we treat our enemies really is a reflection of God the Father. In fact, we read in verse 45. Uh, in verse 44 is where Jesus has, has made this statement about loving your enemies. And then in verse 45 of Matthew chapter 5, he says, In that way you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. Did you know that even people who are totally uh, anti-God, they, they don't serve God, they don't, they don't follow him, they may hate God. Do you know that they are actually still recipients of his blessings in many ways? He loves them so much, and, and he has created a world where, where they are recipients of his uh, blessings anyway. 
And then Jesus says in verse 48, you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. The Jewish people had a, a, a very interesting understanding of fatherhood and of the family. They really understood uh, that the kids were um, a reflection of the father. That they just, that's the way the, the family system was set up. That when kids went and did things, they are, ref, they are reflecting the father. I have, I have, I have two uh, sons. And I know that in part, I know they're responsible for their own stuff. But in part, what they do are in some way a reflection of me. And so it should not come as a surprise that um, Jesus says to this audience, love your enemies because God has been chasing us. He has been seeking us since the very beginning of time. And even when humanity was running from God, even when we have ran from God, even when we have been enemies of God, he has been seeking us when we were still his enemies. It should not have come as a surprise that he looks at this audience and he says, love your enemies. And when you do so, you will be acting like your father who is in heaven. I know the theme, I believe the theme, I heard this this semester is the love of God. And, and all of us in this room have been recipients. We have received God's love in some capacity. And what God is challenging you today with, th- this is my challenge for you today, is if you have been a recipient of that love that God has given you, my challenge for you today is to be people who demonstrate that love even to your enemies. We started with some pictures that really, I think, summarizes this divide that is part of our culture today. And I am convinced that as Christ followers, God has called us to be agents of reconciliation in our culture He speaks on issues, don't don't get me wrong. But first and foremost, he has called us to be agents of reconciliation in our relationships with others. And sometimes that means loving people who are hard to love, who are your enemies. And that is my challenge for you today. And so could you just, could you stand? Could I I say a prayer over you? Could I send you out just um, asking that you will go and be um, these agents of reconciliation that God has called us to. God, as we come to you, I thank you for those people who are in this room. God, you have, um, you have called them to be agents of reconciliation. You've called them to love people who are hard to love. You have shown your love to us. And as the semester unfolds, we will continue to understand the, this idea that, that the love of God is so evident in our lives. And so, God, as we leave this place today, may we love people who are hard to love, that, have extra, that need extra grace. God, may they look at us and see your love in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You are sent out.